Thanks for tuning in to Witch Wednesdays with Steph and Tara, where we share our knowledge as we chat about a new witchcraft topic every Wednesday morning. Welcome back to Witch Wednesdays. This is Steph. And this is Tara. And you are listening to episode 60, which is the pagan origins of Mardi Gras, Ash Wednesday, and Lent. All of the things together. So the day that you are listening to this, actually yesterday was Mardi Gras and today is Ash Wednesday. Uh, But we just wanted to give you some history here. Now, we talked last week about Lupercalia and how that is directly turned into Valentine's Day. And that um, there are a lot of holidays that are directly pagan conversions into something you you know christian or that we know today and more christianized yeah yeah these three are a little bit different because they are completely christian they did originate as christian traditions however some of the aspects associated with it and some of the different uh, themes and ways that people celebrate are pagan in origin. There's just no corresponding pagan holiday that directly turned into these three things, but each of like the little things involved in them have some origin in paganism. And these three things are so inherently linked that any pagan holidays that influence one influence all three, which is why we lumped them together. <laughs> so first up is Mardi Gras, which was yesterday. <laughs> and it's also known as Fat Tuesday. Yes. And it is one of my favorite holidays. Yes, Tara always goes to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. For... Even this year, although there's no parades and it's going to be much, much different with coronavirus. Yeah, very different. So we record ahead of time, obviously. Mm-hmm. So you are listening to this on Ash <laughs> Wednesday, but we are not recording this on Ash Wednesday. So we actually recorded this before she is leaving for uh, right. vacation. So we I don't exactly know how things are going to look. We'll report back. Um, I will definitely still... report back, but it's going to be much much different than normal anyway but normally but she'll post some stuff on instagram so if you don't follow us over there and you kind of want to see what new orleans looks like right now then uh tara will post that over there so you can yes check it out so mardi gras of course is known as fat tuesday and it is the last day of the season of carnival traditionally kicks off on what's called epiphany and that's january 6th and that is when the wise men saw baby jesus that is what the January 6th date is. So that kick, after they see baby Jesus, that's when you should take down your Christmas decorations. I don't, I say leave them up as long as you want or take them down whenever you want, you know, especially if they're more Yule season than Christmas. But that is the traditional rule is that you can't take down the Christmas decorations until Epiphany. So and I never knew that. I've always taken them down at the end of Yule. Once Yule's over, the next day they're gone. <laughs> like, I've never yeah, I, this was a thing. I only... I mean, I, I obviously know this because I went to Catholic school forever, but I also was reminded of that this year because my friend's little sister was really mad. She works in retail and they couldn't take down any of the Christmas decorations. And she was so annoyed that she was going to have to stay late on January 6th to take down all of the decorations. She's like, we could have been doing this over like when we had downtime over New Year's, but her boss wouldn't let her because you have to leave them up until January 6th. So that's hilarious. Okay. I never knew that. <laughs> so... Uh, yes, so that is kicked off in January and then goes until Fat Tuesday. And obviously Mardi Gras is celebrated mainly in Catholic predominant countries. Um, it's, you know, the period of gluttony, excess, 
general debauchery. It's awesome, guys. Lots of things before the fastening of Lent starts on Ash Wednesday. The biggest thing is it's a flaunting of social norms. So the reason it's debauchery, gluttony, excess is because that's not normally how people act. So the biggest thing that people do is flaunt social norms. So I've known people like in New Orleans that are sleeping in a vehicle for part of their flaunting the social norms or they sleep all day and they're up all night. Or It's really a matter of what you consider social norms and then doing pretty much the exact opposite. <laughs> so there are two ancient Roman holidays uh, that sort of influenced this. Now we already talked last week about Lupercalia, which definitely translates into Valentine's Day, but since it was also a celebration of like nakedness, <laughs> really they ran through the, we talked last night, I've been running through the streets, um, naked and whipping women You and women would like remove sections of their clothing to be whipped. Right. To, to be whipped there. So that is um, a, kind of the tradition of splashing your boobs to get beads. It, it comes, it comes from that. Um, so Lubricalia definitely has some ties to this as well as Valentine's day, since they are usually close in date. And the other holiday that historians believe sort of influenced some of the Mardi Gras traditions is actually Saturnalia. And we are going to talk way more about Saturnalia because it also has huge influences on Christmas. And that one was kind of the one that was directly translated over with Saturnalia into Christmas. There's a lot, lot of different things. Um, So Saturnalia was originally celebrated on December 17th. Um, And it was like a three to eventually seven day sort of Bacchanalia that was very similar to what um, Mardi Gras is. Yes. So it was definitely the liveliest festival of the year. All work and businesses were suspended and slaves were temporarily given freedom to stay and do whatever they liked. And certain moral restrictions were eased, which sounds a lot like what Tara was talking about with Mardi Gras. Mm-hmm. So it's, it was this same similar Mardi Gras type of madness um, with everyone out the streets and everyone in colorful clothing, which reminds you a lot of the Mardi Gras costumes and masks that they have today because Very colorful much. clothing um, was not seen a lot in ancient Rome because it cost money. So, yeah, it's very expensive to dye clothes because they didn't have anything really that dyed clothes bright color. So everything that dyed clothes had to be imported from other regions. Yes. And, and back then, obviously, they, they dyed clothes with, you know, various fruits and vegetables and spices and things like that. But it was an expensive and more time consuming process. So yeah. when you look at ancient robe, it's lots of, you know, off white right. togas. That's kind yeah. of representative of what they wore back then. And this sort of season of this bright colored clothing as part of celebration really carried over into Mardi Gras. Now, Mardi Gras obviously has its own three colors and those mean something completely different. So we're not yes. saying everybody in ancient Rome was wearing purple, green, and yellow. That's not they were the not case, but just colorful <laughs> in general and masks in general. Not um, bland, beige, white, light brown colors. <laughs> exactly. And another tradition that directly translates into Mardi Gras was the fact that a mock king was chosen. It, yep. it, he was referred to as the Lord of Misrule because he was selected from the lowliest members of a household and then given the right to conduct sort of lighthearted mischief, <laughs> um, which, again, is that exact opposite of the social norms. Yes. Um, the common holiday custom of hiding coins or other small objects in 
cakes is one that dates back to Saturnalia because this was the method of choosing the mock king. And that's exactly what we have in Mardi Gras today with king cakes. Yes. <laughs> this is a huge thing in Mardi Gras, guys. Um, king cakes are everywhere. Uh, if you get a commercialized king cake, it's not the best. I will throw that out there. But they are everywhere and they bake little babies into them. Yes. Plastic and... babies, not real babies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not real babies. Little, little not real ones. Babies. But you, you slice up the cake and then whoever has the slice with the little the prize in it is, you know, king of the day. King cakes are huge in Mardi Gras. Um, actually, pretty much everywhere, but they're really, really, really a tradition in New Orleans. Uh, almost every party will have one, and it's a round cake, usually decorated in the colors of Mardi Gras, and somewhere in it is a little plastic or candy baby figurine. Uh, usually not plastic, sorry, because those melt, but it's a little bake-proof uh, baby, and so what they do is during the party, they slice up the cake, and whoever gets the slice that has the little figurine in it becomes king of the party and kind of directs activities and merriment um so it's really directly related to <laughs> this ancient holiday to saturnalia yes mm -hmm. so uh it, it directly influenced christmas quite a bit um that's where decorating with greenery and lights and where presents come from so we are going to talk more about that aspect uh at christmas time but mm -hmm. for now we wanted to just pull out sort of the mardi gras aspects because these Saturnalia festivities were officially done away with in the fourth century uh, with Emperor Constantine and the councils of Nicaea, very Christian, and <laughs> Saturnalia was then replaced with Christmas. But Roman officials were really concerned about what would happen if society did away with these yearly like blow off steam parties, essentially. So they decided to absorb them and move them to this like peak of debauchery right before Lent. So part of that reasoning, too, was the idea of moving them to right before Lent is Lent is all about giving things up. So they were really worried that if they carried through with Christmas seriousness, everyone being serious, and then they deprive people of even more, there's no way people would stand for it. So they basically said, have at it before you give up everything. Um, which is where the debauchery started coming in and the gluttony and the excess, all of that, because you're going to give everything up. So you got to get it out of your system first <laughs> in theory. <laughs> and we also just want to quickly mention some fun historical facts about Ash Wednesday and Lent. Um, they have, you know, constructs in Christianity, but they don't come directly from the Bible. they just come from traditions. So yep. uh, if you are, curious about uh, where these sort of traditions came from and how where they might have been adopted from. Um, the sign of the cross rubbed with ashes on the forehead is not at all exclusive to Christianity. Not it's even close, guys. Found throughout the ancient world. And it was a prominent symbol of pagan gods, lots of different ones across different cultures. Um, the act of sprinkling ashes directly on the head was done on a Wednesday in honor of the pagan Norse god Odin. Um, which was always occurred on Wednesday, which was named in honor of Odin, because in the like, Norse tradition, you would actually pronounce it Woden. W sounds. So Woden is, is Wednesday. It is Woden's day. So the ashes on the forehead always occurred on that day. And that sort of 
practice can also be found in the Vedic Indian religion. Vedic, Vedic, I think Vedic. I'm not sure on how to pronounce it. I'm not sure. <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> um, ashes were believed to be the seed of Agni, the Indian fire god. And it's this name that the Latins used for fire, which is Ignis. Mm-hmm. And this root word is how we have ignite, ignish, ignition in English. All of these words come from that, that word fire. And wow, this fire god modern. was said to have the authority to forgive sins, which is what wow, we do on guys. Ash Wednesday is ask forgiveness for all of the sins we did during Mardi Gras. <laughs> A lot of people need that forgiveness, guys. <laughs> and ashes were also be, believed to be symbolic for the purifying of blood um, for the Vedic god Shiva, which is said to have the power to cleanse sins as well. So there are a lot of ancient mm. traditions that not only associate ashes with and the sign of the cross with pagan gods, but also that this idea of ashes and having ashes placed on your body is a way to relieve sins and ask forgiveness for your sins. I was going to say a lot of initiations um, of many different types of religion have different substances rubbed on the forehead. Um, so the ash specifically is a lot of places, but also just putting something symbolic onto the forehead is generally a way that um, different cultures symbolize either a rebirth or a cleansing or uh, initiation into a new faith. So, yes. And it is something that was pagan Original. adopted oh, at time. Um, because specifically Jesus, t- the only mention that he makes of sort of Ash Wednesday or anything like that in the Bible is for the fasting period coming up that we're about to talk about Lent. Um, He actually told his followers and disciples to wash their faces because uh, they used to put um, dirt and things to make them look more drawn in the face, like they'd been fasting and they were somehow more religious. Yeah, more holy than, than anyone else. And he actually said, don't do that. Nobody should know you're doing this. This is between you and God. So wash your faces. So it, it evolved from that. So ashes really are not in, in the Bible, this Ash Wednesday idea. It evolved from, you know, more pagan customs. And, and a lot of things you mentioned, it's customs that have been converted over time, not necessarily something that's written down in stone anywhere. Correct. I feel like that's a lot of the traditions we mentioned. Are, <laughs> this is how it developed. And this is where it is now. We don't know exactly where it came from because no one does. <laughs> And then we get into Lent. So that starts the 40-day fast that starts on Ash Wednesday and goes until Easter. So the word Lent means spring. It's derived from an old English word, Lenkton. And it also has traditions in other religions and other writings. So there's a Babylonian myth of Tammuz, the great hunter who was slain while hunting a wild boar and his devotees mourned him through weeping ceremonies for 40 days. So this was common among the Israelites. And there's a passage from the uh, Ezekiel portion of the old Testament um, that specifically talks about the women weeping for Tammuz. Like this was a generally uh, accepted custom happened a lot. So this 40 day weeping period was very common. Um, and similar ideas of these fasts are found throughout 
lots of different pagan religions, including one um, that's pretty famous is the ancient Egyptians also observed a 40-day fast in honor of Osiris. It's always interesting to see how some of these themes are just so common throughout the world (laughs) before we even knew why, or you'd think they wouldn't talk, but similar traditions. Yes, similar similar traditions everywhere, which is just really interesting that uh, this idea of a specifically 40 day that is very fast. specific and really random it's not yeah, a month, it's very specific it's not two months it's 40 days <laughs> very specific number and obviously that is directly mentioned in the bible the 40 days that jesus spent in wandering and fasting <laughs> yeah but before he, before he died in easter so or died before easter and was died before easter, easter and then he risen <laughs> yes um so that the 40 day thing is is mentioned in the Bible, but it's also a uh, common custom for other religions as well, which is just very interesting. It's so very interesting. <laughs> in witchcraft, we just wanted to, <laughs> wanted to mention uh, there are a lot of different ways to incorporate these traditions. Uh, there are obviously many uses for ash in witchcraft. Yes. We, we burn a lot of stuff. We burn a lot of herbs. So there's a lot of uses for that. Um, but specifically, we just wanted to talk a little bit about Mardi Gras, especially if you are not following the traditional Christian calendar and you are not starting today with with fasting and, and repenting. So if you are keeping the um, spirit of Mardi Gras going, then this season is sort of a last chance moment to explore dark and chaotic energies before yes. spring brings its light and the warmth takes over. So it is a great time to get to know your shadow self um, so that these shadows don't rule you or uh, break out later in the year at an opportune <laughs> times. Yeah. So gives a chance for you to heal yourself or bring out any sides of yourself that may have, you may have hidden away and been shamed and be proud of them. Um, so we are, I don't exactly know when in the schedule it's going to come up, but we are going to have a intro to shadow work uh, episode. So we'll go over what shadow work actually is <laughs> in more detail. <laughs> yes. So just some ideas for celebrating this sort of season. Um, definitely shadow self uh, meditations, general sh- shadow work, um, journaling about your fears and desires. Uh, it's a popular time to make art, music, and poetry because creative very people good. find those very cathartic. This is also why journaling is so great, because sometimes as you journal about things that you may fear, desire, you find it cathartic overall, which is, if you're more artsy than I or Steph, this is what the art's for. (laughs) It is also a great time to purge anything that's no longer useful, and also a great time to make a mask that represents a hidden part of your personality or any part of the real you that needs some light and love in the upcoming light spring season. Yes. So lots of ways to sort of honor the season and incorporate it into your witchcraft, all of these ancient pagan traditions. (laughs) And one thing that's really great about this is if you uh, are in any kind of coven setting or you have friends that practice um, for whatever reason, the energy can be really, really good in a group for this. Um, It's a lot of individual work is what we're, we're mentioning on ways to celebrate on your own. But I think carnival overall has so much energy worldwide. It's a lot like the secular New Year's. There's just so much energy out there that can be directed in useful and good ways 
um, that you may not be able to do just internally, but it's also a great time to do internal work because it's not quite spring and we're all still hermiting. <laughs> we are. If you're in the Northern Hemisphere, like, like we are. In the Midwest, yes. It's still usually it's cold. still hermit time mid-February. <laughs> and I was going to say, so uh, Mardi Gras changes year to year where it falls on the calendar. But yeah, this year it's real, real early. <laughs> Indeed. So it's probably, probably still pretty cold. Yeah. Sometimes it goes as late as March. Um, one other thing to keep in mind is, although it changes year to year, the exact date, I think the energy is very similar no matter what time of year it falls or what exact date it falls on. Agreed. That is all we have for you this week, uh, all about uh, pagan origins of these holidays, but we will see you next week to talk a little bit in detail about salt. Yes. Lots (laughs) of detail about salt. Thanks for listening guys. Bye. Knock that fire down 19. Copy captain. Let's move. ABC Thursdays. Firefighters, we're family. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. The subject has explosive chemicals. Get down! With fiery romances. You're the love of my life. And Andy is finally in charge. I'm going to be the best damn captain the station has ever seen. Station 19, all new Thursdays, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Need even more witchcraft? Subscribe to our Patreon account for tons of exclusive bonus content and order supplies from our Etsy store. Reach out on Instagram at Witch Wednesdays Podcast or by email to witchwednesdays at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. Find all these links and more at witchwednesdays.com.